to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician and CMIO and the host of CMIO Podcast. And today I have with me Rebecca Mishuris from Boston Medical Center. She's the associate CMIO there, and I'm real excited to have her on the show. She does a lot of work with quality and safety, stuff that we all do, and it's great to get her insights as to how she's gone along her journey. So welcome, Rebecca. And if you would, just introduce yourself in terms of where you are now and how you got on this journey. Sure. So as you mentioned, I'm the associate CMIO at Boston Medical Center. I'm also a practicing general internist at a primary care clinic at the hospital. And I would say I got into this back when I was in college, actually. I was a freshman at MIT when a new community organization called Health Leads Now, it was then Project Health, started at Boston Medical Center by a Harvard undergrad to try and address the social needs of patients seeking care at Boston Medical Center. And that really intrigued me as a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed freshman at MIT. And I got into it from the technology standpoint and so worked with the MIT Media Lab to develop a system whereby patients could access needed information about social um, determinants of or social resources, I guess, in the community through a kiosk that was in the primary care clinic, the pediatrics primary care clinic at Boston Medical Center. And it kind of went from there. I stayed with that through college. After college, actually went to go work for a strategy business IT consulting firm down in Virginia and did a lot of work with public health organizations and realized I wanted to be the doctor on the other side of the table. Came back to Boston to medical school at Boston University, stayed for my medical training, and kind of through my residency realized that a lot of what we were doing was requiring the computer more and more, and that I could reach a larger number of patients and providers through working with the computer than I could one-on-one with any given patient. And so that really, that idea really intrigued me. After my chief medical resident year at Boston Medical Center, I went to the Brigham and did a general internal medicine fellowship there where all of my research was focused on the impact of health IT on care delivery and outcomes for patients and realized through that process that research was really interesting and I definitely wanted to be supportive of it, but I didn't particularly want to write grants for the rest of my life and was much more interested in the operations and administration of health IT within a health system. Um, And so came back to Boston Medical Center at that point into a role where we were about to launch a new electronic health record And my role at that point was really to try and do that in the best way for primary care. That role kind of quickly expanded from there to really focus on the experience of providers using the electronic health record and how we could make that experience kind of most palatable (laughs) to physicians and other providers. And then the role has kind of grown from there. Well, that's certainly an interesting journey. Tell us what amount of your time now is spent on clinical versus on informatics? 
So if I have to leave it to 100%, although we all know that everybody works more than 100%. Absolutely, I get that. (laughs) I spend half a day a week treating patients, so about 10% of my time is in direct patient care, and the rest of my time is really devoted to paying attention to how we use information technology to deliver that care. So you were an assistant CMIO before you became the associate CMIO. What's the difference? What responsibilities do you now have that you didn't have before? A kind of journey from assistant to associate has meant an expansion of the scope of my role beyond just kind of optimization from a physician or provider perspective to really understanding how health IT and informatics fits into the larger picture of delivering care and a health system as well. So we at Boston Medical Center entered into a Medicaid accountable care organization in March of 2018. And that has meant a whole host of activities have um, come into play that were not previously into play. And how do we use technology to support those? That has come under my purview, as well as just understanding the healthcare delivery institution at a larger level at a kind of higher viewpoint and how health IT fits into that. So I would say the scope of what I do has expanded and the kind of day-to-day thinking about strategy rather than everything I do being about putting out fires or optimizing the EHR. Just one more question about your background, if I could. Are you board certified in informatics? Have you uh, taken the journey of the test here? I have. I am, yes. All right, great. Uh, Have you found that useful, by the way? I think that it's a useful journey for people who are starting out on their informatics career. I took the exam last year, and I don't know that it was, I don't think that it provided me any additional information than I already had, right? I know that I do not know how to program in SQL. I am never going to learn how to program in SQL. That is not what I want to do. There are informaticists who want to do that, and that's great. I am much more on the implementation operations strategy side of informatics, and those are things I already know that I didn't really have to study for for an exam. I do think it's an interesting credential, particularly for those who are new in their career or starting out on this journey who may not have a background already in this area. I think that it's probably less actually useful from an information perspective for people who are already in those positions, though. Yeah, I agree. Uh, The practical knowledge was not always there, but it it was interesting background. So it sounds like, though, you're involved with a lot of operational things. I imagine that gets into quality and safety. Is that true? Absolutely. So give me an example of... What are you doing in the quality or safety arena that we're going to find is really important for moving the ball forward in medicine? So I think traditionally, quality in general has focused much more on the inpatient space, at least at a hospital, than it has on the ambulatory space. And people are pretty used to that, right? We have a bunch of line infections. How do we prevent those line infections? Does the computer need to support us in any way to do that? And I think we are kind of more recently, quality in general is moving into the ambulatory space and in some cases is being spurred to do so by the advent of the accountable care organization or other risk contracts where your payment is contingent on you providing um, quality care, not just low cost care. 
And that's great, right? That is absolutely where we need to be moving, that we are um, incentivized to provide high quality care. It's something I think that we all strive to do anyway, but I think that these models are providing us resources that we didn't previously have to focus in those areas. So in Massachusetts, the Massachusetts Medicaid, which is called MassHealth, Accountable Care Organization program has a number of quality measures tied to payment and payment reform. And many of those are ambulatory focused. And so I've spent quite a bit of time over the last year and a half or so thinking about how do we use technology to drive performance on those quality measures. Can you give me an example of one where you think you've been successful? Sure. So diabetes management, for instance. So the, one of the mass health quality measures is to ensure that patients with diabetes, I'm oversimplifying this, but ensure that patients with diabetes have their A1C tested and have it controlled, which means below 9%. We have done our utmost in kind of a provider-patient relationship to do that. We've done things at clinic levels to try to achieve that. But I think that that quality measure in particular really got us to thinking about how could we do this more holistically and more broadly for our patients and got us um, really to dive into the drivers of poor performance on those two areas. One, getting patients tested and two, controlling their diabetes. And what we found was that for the first, right, we were missing opportunities. Patients were coming in for visits and we were missing opportunities to check their A1C. And that seemed like a ripe opportunity to use the electronic health record kind of at our fingertips to identify who was due for an A1C. So we put in both a, a reminder and a health maintenance topic into our electronic health record that indicates based on the patient's last A1C when they are next due to have it checked. So when they come in for a visit, the medical assistant actually without any input from the provider can start that going and we have point of care A1C testing. And so by the time I as the PCP walk in the room, I already have the A1C test and I can act on it. That is much more effective for our patients than sending them down to the lab, getting the test and then having to contact them afterwards with a plan for how to adjust medications, for instance. I think the key there is you took the doctor out of the process. I've always found that to be the best way to improve quality scores. That's absolutely right. And something that we have taken as somewhat of a mantra that if you can remove the doctor from the process, it is more likely to get done. But I think, I think what that speaks to actually is not the roadblocks the provider puts up, but the standardization of care, right? We were all trained in a essentially apprenticeship model where you learned from the people above you how to deliver care and then you were set off into the wild to deliver that care and that's very much an apprenticeship model and if there's not a whole lot of standardization to that other than the medical knowledge we are all armed with if you can standardize those processes though you um, invariably are able to improve the outcomes as a result of them so tell me a little bit about your role in all this because I've been part of organizations where the informaticists are brought in at the beginning of the quality process and I've seen it brought in at the end where they've already made the decision about the metrics. What's the right answer there and what do you do? I think the right answer is earlier is always better. We can always step out for a while and then come back in but we can't make up the time that gets lost at the beginning. So I am very much, and my colleagues are very much at the table 
when um, people are initially trying to digest what are these quality measures, what do we think is important from a quality perspective or a safety perspective, we are sitting right there along with the clinical folks, the quality folks, the patient safety folks to identify what are the holes in the Swiss cheese if you're talking about patient safety, what are the drivers of performance around quality, and how do we think we can use a computer to do that. I will say one of my soapboxes is that I would much rather people come to me with a problem or a challenge rather than their proposed solution that they think the computer should do. We get to a much better place that way. If I can really understand what challenge they're having or what outcome they're trying to get to rather than them coming to me and saying, I want a report of X, Y, and Z, we get to a better solution for them from a kind of usability and reproducibility and outcome perspective. Do you find yourself in a situation sometimes where someone's got a really good quality idea, but the field just doesn't exist as a discrete element in the EMR, and it's going to require some build to get it there? Where do you come into play around those discussions? Yes, <laughs> I would say all the time, right? People want to do something, but there's no discrete field in the EMR to support that activity. For instance, I was just on a phone call actually around dental exams. So one of the measures that MassHealth um, is interested in is ensuring that children and adolescents are having regular dental exams. I don't, in our EHR, right, where we don't see all of our kids for their dental work here, we don't necessarily know about dental work. And so how are we going to identify kids who are in need, kids who've already met kind of their necessary two visits per year, and what are we going to do there? I think that we try and minimize the amount of data entry for data entry's sake. I don't like that from a reporting perspective. I don't like it from a kind of triggering of action or workflow in the EMR perspective um, because it just contributes to click fatigue and burnout, all the things that folk, people are seeing in the news lately. And so we struggle when we get to these places of what is absolutely necessary to drive the workflow we're interested in? Is there some other way to get that information other than having someone manually enter some new field? And as technology advances, are there ways we can use things like natural language processing to pull that data out of the EMR that doesn't require someone to click a button or enter it into a specific field? What about specialty metrics? Do you get involved there? I'll just give you a, a quick story. At my previous organization, every specialty was asked to come up with their own quality metrics. And so they each came up with between three and six metrics. And then we had to figure out, is this data even exist? Is it validated? We have to create the metrics. And it was a huge build and it really slowed up any other project that we were able to do in ambulatory. So what do you do about specialty metrics? Are you sticking to just what the, the, the CMS quality measures are or can you go anywhere you want? So I would say for now we are focusing on the measures we are held to externally, but we also have internal measures that we hold ourselves to, internal quality measures or safety measures that we hold ourselves to. And you're right, it can be really problematic because EMRs are built to deal with those external reportable measures and maybe not the pet project or measure that, that you've come up with in your single department or your single section. Again, I would kind of fall back to involving the 
CMIO or equivalent as early as possible when you're developing those measures to make sure that they are actually feasible from an IT perspective. You could design an amazing measure, but if you can't get the data, it doesn't matter. You won't be able to identify the measure, you won't be able to track progress, you won't be able to identify the drivers of performance against that measure. And so I think that as you develop either specialty measures or measures maybe that are not the ones that CMS is requiring or other external bodies require, really to be thoughtful about not just the clinical aspect of it, but also the IT aspect of it. A part of quality and safety, I believe, is putting that data in front of the provider. And I know you said you weren't. I'm one of the SQL geeks that you were referring to. I know you're not, but that's okay. So how do you get that data? Is there forums where you're discussing quality at Boston? What's What does it look like to move the needle? Sure. So I am not a SQL geek. <laughs> I joke that I went to MIT and I can turn my computer on, but I can't actually program it. So I think that being able to show data to external kind of non-IT people in a way that they can consume it is absolutely crucial to being able to move quality measures or any other measure you're talking about. And so your ability to make that data consumable and in a way that people can understand from the visualization that you've created is really important. So what we do here is we have dashboards that are embedded in the electronic health record. We also have external dashboards that help people visualize that data and those measures over time. We use various different forums to present that data, everything from kind of cross um, departmental forums to individual sections within the Department of Medicine tracking data they're interested in. Um, and it really depends then on the department and the data you're presenting, what the most effective way is, or what the most effective forum is to present that in. So everyone gets all excited about quality measures, particularly when compensation gets tied to it. Does that happen in your organization? Because that just puts so much more uh, stress on getting the metrics right, the, the validation, the visibility to the metrics and the benchmarking, what does that look like at your organization? Sure. So at Boston Medical Center, our um, individual provider compensation is not tied to external quality measures, but the overall performance and health of our accountable care organization is obviously tied to those performance measures. And so we very much focus on them kind of at every level from CEO to individual practitioner in order to ensure that we have the resources we need to care for the patients that come through our doors. So let's talk about resources just a second since you mentioned it. The quality and safety reports, how high up do they go? Does this get visibility at senior leadership, the board, or is it really just the providers internally driving this? Where does the resources come from if you needed to really attack a problem? That's gonna come from higher up leadership does this help motivate them in any way? Absolutely, and I think that the hospital leadership, system leadership is very focused on how we're performing against these quality measures, again, because it really drives our overall performance in the accountable care organization. And we have a lot at risk, both upside and downside, in that payment model. And so the quality measures are looked at and paid attention to at every level, from senior leadership on down to individual departments and, and clinics. And I think you really need that 
breadth and level of engagement to drive the overall outcome, right? You need the leadership engagement to ensure that you have the resources you need to meet those measures, and you need the engagement of the individual practitioner or medical assistant so that they understand the role that they are playing, not just in the care of that individual patient, but in the health of our overall system. So as an informaticist, I'm sure that when someone comes to you with a quality idea, the request always has attached to it the pop-up invasive alert <laughs> that's going to be there. Have you found a way around this? How else are you driving quality and perhaps not making it a endless stream of BPAs that tie people in knots? Yeah, no, absolutely. And this really gets to what I was saying earlier, that I would much rather people come to me with the problem they're trying to solve than the IT solution that they have come up with. I think that within IT, within informat clinical informatics, we see ourselves as the experts or the consultants around how best to use health IT to get to your solution or to your end goal and would like you to see us that way also. And so yes, absolutely, everybody comes wanting some interruptive pop-up alert that just kind of kills any initiative that, that they're actually interested in doing. We know that you know click fatigue is a real thing and it's really not the optimal way to drive performance against anything. And so we use kind of every other technique in our arsenal of clinical decision support tools to avoid that interruptive pop-up alert. So you can think about things like preference lists and order sets and how you sort search returns as just a few simple ways to drive behavior that is not an interruptive pop-up alert, but is really, to the end user, a seamless part of their workflow. I like that. I think that's really wise advice that people get turned off by certain initiatives if it comes along with a pop-up. And it's not always necessary. It, I guess it depends on how things are progressing. I, I think people try to start soft and they'll increase the invasiveness if they're not getting any responses and try to use other means than the invasive pop-up alert whenever possible. So tell me a little bit about outside data because when I was doing a lot with quality metrics, my providers would get upset if I was flagging them with some kind of alert saying, hey, this is something you haven't had done, that mammogram is overdue, and sure enough, the patient has already had it, and now they're frustrated that their data is not right. What do you do? Do you get outside data? Does the ACO help with that? Or is the system just everything gets done inside your system? It's one nice, neat little system. How do you handle that? Yeah, so we absolutely have external data, both external clinical data and then obviously claims data. One nice thing about our system is that we own our own health plan, our own Medicaid health plan. And so we have all of the claims data for our patients within the accountable care organization, in addition to their clinical data that we have locally. And so we are really trying to use that claims data to better understand the needs of our patients and also their clinical status. And so, for instance, going back to the diabetes example, we are now able to stratify patients who have diabetes based on whether they're picking up their prescriptions or not. So if you have two fairly identical patients on fairly identical medication regimens for their diabetes with fairly identical 
A1C levels, but you realize that one patient is only picking up their prescriptions 30% of the time, you're not going to change their prescriptions. You're going to focus on medication adherence versus the other patient who's picking up their meds 90% of their time and still has an uncontrolled A1C, that's someone where you would actually change their medication regimen. So having that external data is actually changing how we deliver individual care. I don't know how people do value-based care without it. It's, what you just said was so important. That insight into is the patient taking their medication and what you would do in response to that Without that claims data, it's it, it's impossible to do it. And there's so many systems that are limited by the inability to get data and merge that with their quality. That's absolutely true. And I think that in the era of accountable care, you absolutely have to have access to that external data. And I think that one thing that is very unfortunate in this country is that every hospital, every clinic has its own electronic health record. You may share a vendor, but you have your own electronic health record. And we are really just still in the infancy of the ability to share even that clinical information back and forth. I think we are obviously leaps and bounds beyond where we were 10 years ago, but we are really trailing kind of the rest of the market in terms of being able to integrate that external information into our local systems to drive clinical care and and clinical workflows. Yeah, it's not easy. People, you you talk to IT, say, hey, we want you to bring in this data source, and now they're worried about duplicates and uh, not matching quite right and putting the wrong information in someone else's chart. And that's really scary to IT. So they, they don't always appreciate these outside data projects, but they're so critical to us as clinicians. So Yeah. It's scary to IT and it's scary to compliance and clinical people, right? If you bring in a lab from a lab with a different reference range than your own, how do you know what's abnormal and what's not, right? If you allow people to manually enter in external results, how can you ensure that they have transcribed correctly whatever they're looking at on a piece of paper? And so it is scary, and I agree it's absolutely necessary for clinical care, and we have to be able to adjudicate those two things and balance those two areas. And I also think your earlier example of the you know, patients do for their mammogram and the, the clinician says, but they just had it, you know, last week or two months ago. The other piece of this is that once the data you are showing to your clinicians is wrong, it's very hard to get them back. And so you really want to make sure that the data that you are showing them is as accurate as possible, or that you're able to explain the inaccuracies in a way that doesn't burden them in any additional way. And, you know, junk data in is data out. And so if we don't have record of that mammogram, we're not going to be able to show you that mammogram back. And But how do we get that mammogram information into the system? And how do we do it, again, without involving the doctor? I've seen providers get so frustrated by having to track down these studies that they already have. And they have to remind patients to get things done that have already been done. And they really don't want to do that. They want to be focusing on the things that matter. How about getting the patient to help with their preventative care? Do you do mass outreach through your patient portal saying, hey, you're due for your colonoscopy or you're due for some labs on your diabetes, so come on in? Or using questionnaires to find out if they've already gotten certain things done, like their flu shot. How do you engage patients 
around their own quality. Absolutely. I I think that's an area that we are actually just starting to get into here at Boston Medical Center, but lots of other organizations have or are addressing that. So we do have a patient portal and we do show to patients on that portal when they are due for certain health maintenance activities like an A1C or a colonoscopy. We allow patients to schedule an appointment to come in to address those things through the portal. We have not gone so far as to send bulk communication out to patients to say, hey, you are all due, all of you who are getting this message are due for your colonoscopy. But that's absolutely something that people and other organizations do do. And I think they see variable success depending on the engagement of their patient through the portal. And I think we are just starting to think about how do we best engage our patients through this portal? How do we take a portal that's designed for the average patient and tailor it to the patients we see here who half of them live below the federal poverty limit, 30% of them don't speak English as their primary language, where we have some real challenges around digital patient engagement. Everybody, almost all of our patients have phones, um, but they don't all have data plans or they don't all have internet access without the free Wi-Fi provided by the hospital or Starbucks or the public library. I tried an initiative of bulk outreach once when it was via text message reminding the patient, please call the office, your test C10 is due now. And then they'd have to call the office to find out what C10 is. And it was very frustrating for both the staff and the patients. Without that outside data, we were poking patients, telling them they were due for something that they had done a week before or a month before. We eventually shut it off because the signal to noise, it was too much garbage coming in, too many frustrated people saying, why are you telling me, is there something wrong with me? Am I in trouble? Was there something wrong with the first test that I have to go and do it again? So this bulk outreach, it's so vital to do for population health and quality, but it's hard to do well. It it is very tricky. And I think the same way we think about workflow for physicians or other providers, we have to think about workflow for our patients. So is there a way to say, our records indicate that you are overdue for a flu shot this year, please book it, choose one to book an appointment to come in for it or choose two to tell us when you had your flu shot. And so that's just one way to get around Mm -hmm. some of the issues you mentioned. Another obviously is to bring in all of that external data and the claims data to really have a better picture of the entire patient rather than the slice that you get based on the data you have from your own organization. So Rebecca, I think this has been a fantastic conversation about quality, safety, and engaging with the patients. I really, I want to thank you for coming on the show, but uh, tell me, what's next for you? Do you you become a CMIO, a CMO? Where do you want to be when you grow up or head (laughs) off to in life? $10 million question. I, I do see myself moving into that CMIO role. We actually don't have a CMIO at Boston Medical Center, and so three of us play that role together. I focus much more on the strategy side of things and really see myself moving more and more into that space in addition to remaining involved in the workflow space and, and also really trying to understand how IT can better support the entire organization and the entire care continuum for an individual patient and a population of patients as we think about how 
care delivery is going to change over the next five or 10 years, the technology is going to have to change as well. Sounds like you certainly know what you're talking about. Boston is lucky to have you. So uh, I wish you the best of luck moving up and on and continuing to drive quality for that system. If people want to reach out to you, are you on LinkedIn or email? What's the best way if someone wants to do a follow-up question with you? Absolutely. I am on LinkedIn and I'm also on Twitter. They are f- Feel free to reach out that way. All right, thank you. And I think we'll wrap it up there. Thanks for coming on the show. That's been our show for today. I've been your host, Dr. Mark Weissman. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at cmiopodcast at gmail.com or go to the website at cmiopodcast.com. Send me your ideas for shows, guests you would like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect, and I look forward to bringing you our next episode. Thank you.